Yeah. Yeah. If, I, if you don't, yeah, we can do that. This feels like, oh my god, I'm comfy yeah, like this. Good. Yeah. Don't even, don't even worry about it. like just fucking yeah. post up. Yeah, that works. Okay, bro, we're gonna jump right into this. It's fucking South by 2022. Probably the most unique podcast I've ever done. Uh, also, in the sense of we're both rocked. It's been a week. I've been moderating panels. My voice is fucking gone. You've been meeting, but I think that uh, we're such good friends. And I loved in the last podcast, it was so honest and it was so yeah. real. And we ended up just having this incredible discussion. I didn't really know where it would go. So the fact that we're rocked and it's South by and we don't have mic stands and we're just fucking doing it in a hotel room. Like, fuck it, dude. Like, that's yeah. our friendship. We just make it work. So thank right. you. I'm, I'm excited. Oh, yeah, me too. Last time we did the podcast, we captured a really special moment in time. Yeah. It was before the pandemic. And right before. you had right before. But before enough where we didn't see the doom writing on the walls, we were still like hopeful. We were like, if you listen back, you can like, we don't, it's not even a thing. Like we're talking and it's like, what a simpler time. Yeah. But it was a really special time in your career because things were starting to go well, yet so much has changed. Mm -hmm. And through that, and what a wild thing to have to adapt to, you've made it all work. And I feel like you're even more successful now. You're even happier. Mm -hmm. You are leveling up in your professional career. And another thing that stood out about the last podcast was you, and I don't mean to say this in a bad way, it's not like you have some crazy following. Like you're pretty low key. You're not over here trying to be IG famous. <laughs> you know, your episode is still one of the top downloaded episodes out of 140 fucking episodes. That's unreal. Because you shared real advice and you shared something that was so relatable and helpful. So for all those reasons and for this hilarious circumstance that we're sitting down, this is going to be wonderful. I'm Thank ready. You. I'm absolutely ready. So damn, everyone knows who you are, most likely, but a short introduction of who you are and what you do, if anyone didn't catch that iconic episode. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think they'll know my name is Lauren from looking at the uh, name of the episode. But so I am a transactional talent side lawyer, which means that we represent artists primarily, songwriters, producers. We are expanding a bit, a decent amount into the industry side, so companies as well, but we represent artists, producers, songwriters, and talented people in deals. So publishing deals, record deals, um, all of the little deals like the producer deals and side arts agreements and things like that. Um, but generally, you know, we are the people who um, are helping to guide artists along in their career, um, not from a business perspective or creative perspective, well, a business perspective to some extent, because as as lawyers, as talent side lawyers, your, you know, your job to some extent extends beyond the law. You know, it, it extends to helping artists find the right opportunities, helping them find the right record companies, the right publishers, helping them evaluate what it is that they want out of their partners, what it is they want out of their record companies, and what they want out of their team. Um, and just really kind of, you know, I, I like the big picture stuff. I really love being able to be there with an artist early on and you know, help them make those decisions that few years down the line, you can see how they were the right decision. And I, you know, I love being able to look back and be able to say that. And so, you know, who am I, I guess, is the question that I'm answering. Um, I am on paper a lawyer, and I guess in real life a lawyer, but, um, you know, I'm an artist advocate at the end of the day, um, in every way that I can be. <laughs> make me cry two minutes into this episode. That was so well stated. And I, it's crazy to hear you explain that now a little bit later because it's so much more defined. And that's what's always stood out to me about you is like I introduce you and say, oh, yeah, yeah, meet Lauren. Like he, he works in music. He's a lawyer. Although to me, whenever I have to deal with a lawyer in any industry, but specifically music, it it doesn't feel like there's as much care as like, you know, artists put so much time into an album and it's so creative. And then the lawyer side of it always feels so fucking businessy, but you so through and through give a shit. And the way that you just explained that, it isn't just one thing, but like you're the guy, you're the homie that did his homework that makes sure the other homies and the artists don't get screwed. And yeah. that translates to quite a lot, really. I'd like to think that I'm, you know, really unique for having that approach. I, I to some extent I am, there's not not every lawyer is like that, but you know, I certainly don't want to minimize the number of other lawyers that are out there who have that same sort of perspective. And one of the things that I say to artists all the time, a very important thing is you have a choice of who you are around. Mm. You have a choice of who you do business with. And those people are going to define you and define your career. Like if you ever stop and you look around and you notice that everyone around you are a bunch of assholes, guess what? You're probably an asshole too. Um, and one of the most important decisions that I, I say to artists, I say to managers, I say to everybody is 
you know, and this is a cheesy two types of people statement, but mm. there's two types of people in the music business. There are those people who are here because this is their home. Yeah. Music is the place that made them feel like they could be themselves. Yeah. And they're only ever truly themselves when they're surrounded by other people who love and are inspired by music as much as they are. Yeah. So that's one type of people. Yeah. The other type is everybody else. <laughs> and you get to choose who you do business with. Now you're gonna have to interact with people that out of, not your own choice. You're gonna have to interact with people, but the people that surround you, the people that form your core, yeah. you get to make that decision. And some people don't want the lawyer who's like that. Some right. people don't want that. Some people want the lawyer who's gonna be an asshole. Some yeah. people want, you know, the one who's gonna be, what was it the Eagle said about Irving Azoff? He's a devil, but he's our devil. Mm. Some people want that. Yeah. A lot of people don't. And, mm. you know, for me, I don't want the people who want that. I want the people who want what I do. And I think for everyone, as soon as you start out, you know, you have to start thinking about who you want to be in the industry. When you succeed, what kind of successful person do you want to be? And how do you want to, how do you want to look at that success? How do you want to look back on that success? Yeah. And so I think it's super important to surround yourself with people who are like-minded. And, you know, that's why my approach to this is very important to me, because that's also going to be the people that I surround myself with. It's going to be the people who are here because music is the thing that saved their life or the thing that gave them a place where they hadn't had it. And now they're experiencing that at, at you know, when you start to see success in the music business, it's just, it's, it's incredible. And it's, you know, that thing that you love and that place that you feel comfortable. And then suddenly it's also paying your bills and it's also giving you a life you never thought you, you could have. But at that same time, at that moment, it's also showing you sides of business and things you have to learn that are so scary and so heartless. So that's where it's like so pivotal to have the person that gets it and has that emotion and care that you do, but then also can come correct and know how to speak that. And I see that in you. Well, and look, like, dude, yeah. you've been that guy for me. Yeah. As I, when I've been working, I mean, I guess it feels like a different lifetime now that I was managing <laughs> artists, but like you were that guy where it was like, oh fuck, dude, they want to sign us. And you're like, okay, okay, it's good. It's good. Here's this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh my God, thank you. Well, you know, in the last few years, since we did the last podcast, you know, I've, I've really been able to find who I am um, as a lawyer and what my, what my approach is. And I, I summarize my, my strategy as, as follows. You know, I, I say, be polite, be patient and trust your leverage because at the end of the day, you know, if you have that ace card in your back pocket, you don't have to yell that across the room. You don't even have to say that. You just have to know it's there. And there's no reason why you can't get exactly what you deserve, why I can't get exactly what my clients deserve and get it for them in the right way by just being a good person, but understanding what we have, what is right for us, what we shouldn't accept, what we can get with whatever strategy we're employing. And that's what it's about. And so there are people out there who, you know, and, I, and, I, and as I was saying, you decide who you surround yourself with. There are managers out there that I have seen send emails to agents, that's just little asshole emails. And you're just like, this is the person who's booking your artist. Like, why are yeah. you doing that? Be polite, be patient, but trust your leverage, know how to use your leverage, know how to strategize that leverage. And at the end of the day, a good lawyer, a good manager is not the person, not the loudest person in the room. It's gonna be the person who knows how to use what they have to the best of their ability and to get the most out of that. We are less than 10 minutes into this podcast and you have already dropped so many <laughs> bombs. We could just wrap it here and people would be like, this was great, <laughs> Shortest thank podcast you, ever. We're done, it's perfect. No, I wanna jump right in though, because we told your story. Last time I think it got so good when we started talking about what was going on. I want to speak to everything you just said and say that I've observed something in your career that I think you just kind of gave that advice, but you've also applied it to yourself. Since we spoke last, you've had artists that are like, fuck you, platinum. Like, yeah. fuck you, success. Like, top 40 shit. Top, top number, higher than that. Number nine most streamed song in the world of 2020, man. And you've walked away from that because there was a level of that not aligning with your values. Well, and since then, I do believe you've become more successful in trusting that intuition. And I think that that's a freaking remarkable example to set. Well, you know, to be fair, I, I do want to correct, you know, I didn't walk away from from anything. Um, 
what I have done though is is learn to understand um, kind of what I want out of all of this. So mm. just to put this in context, you know, last two years ago when we did our when we did the first podcast, you know, I was in LA for the Grammys and I had had a lot of recent successes and you'd known me for some years and um, I'd seen a lot of growth in the last few years from that and some real big successes. And but at the time I didn't fully realize, you know, what was actually happening in my life was that I was scaling up in a way that I hadn't anticipated, had never planned for. Oh, interesting. Um, and, you know, when, you know, you get to see the tippy top of the pop pyramid, you know, as I as I call it. The um, tippy top of the pop. <laughs> I like that. When you get to see the tippy top of the pop pyramid and you get to see, you know, the way that some people are and the way that some people at that level operate, you know, you start to think about who you are and how you can, you know, how you can adjust or how, what world you want to be in. And, you know, one of the things that I have seen is that, you know, as I said, there are wonderful people in the music business. There are those people that are out there that are sociopaths. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. There are. But, you know, you don't have to interact with them more than you need to. Sure. Uh, and you get to decide what you want to be and, and, and how you want to you make your career. And, you know, one of the things that I have seen in the last few years is that I, you know, and I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stop for a moment. I'm going to step back and I'm going to give you a lot of credit because that podcast we did two years ago was the first time that I had ever actually sat down with someone and talked through my 20-year journey of playing in punk rock basement shows in the 90s to representing platinum acts and Grammy-winning acts. And I had never done that before. And that exercise for me, and I would encourage anyone listening to this, to just do that, just to yeah. sit down sometime with someone and just talk through their whole story. Because what I learned from that is I learned a lot about myself. And so as I started to have more and more success, so you know, my, I, my office space that I have now, I you know, when I moved in, we had a wall of gold and platinum records, but none of them had my name on them. And now they all have my name on them, you know? And it's just a different, it's a different world. But that, that conversation that we had reminded me so much of that, you know, 14-year-old punk rock kid that I talked about. And as I listened to that, I think about, you know, I thought about that kid and how proud I was of him, of the things that he had done since then and, and how that ended up being me. Um, and it's just, you know, I, it made me say, so here I am. I am doing bigger deals than I ever imagined. I am working with bigger artists than I ever planned when I started out. You know, when I started out, all I was trying to do was just work with artists who were making music, do the punk rock thing, you yeah. know, just, you know, whatever. But after having that conversation with you about that history and reconnecting with my own prior self, it became this mission for me to try to figure out how to fold that prior self into my present self. What is it about that 14-year-old punk rock kid who made the shows happen that he wanted to go see? How do I pull that kid into who I am now? And I think that it's really important to not get caught up in any level of success or to take too much credit for those successes or to assume that those successes are because of certain, sometimes we, we, think we attribute a success to a quality that might not be our best quality or we think, oh, that one success, this happens, so therefore it's because of that. But what that conversation between you and I did for me last time was made me realize that that, that kid who played punk rock shows in cornfields mm -hmm. is who I am and where I came from. And so I've been on this journey to re-establish, to, re to find that kid in myself again. And that has been in how I deal with other people, it has been in knowing which stuff to turn down. Which people, when you have that one conversation with the manager and you say, I don't want to be in business with that person. Wow. You know, um, and that's something that I've been doing a lot of is figuring out what relationships I want. And, you know, I'm lucky to be at a point where I can be choosy and decide, you know, who, who I want to do business with and who I don't. Okay, here's a question, though, because I could argue, not argue, but I could look at that and say, that's amazing. And I agree with that entirely. But I always try to think of a listener listening to this that maybe says like, okay, that's awesome, but I don't have that luxury. I'm at the beginning now. Do you think if you could go back in hindsight, was this the actual perfect evolution and it needed to happen like this? Or do you wish you could have learned that sooner and aligned with people with those proper values from the beginning? So I'm actually asked that a lot. Really? If I could go back and change anything, would I? And my answer is a definitive, absolutely not. Wow. Like I was one time someone asked me, like, if you could go back and tell 20 year old Lauren anything, what would you tell them? And I'd say, right. I wouldn't say anything. No shit. I would just kind of watch from the other side of the room and say, there he is. There's that there guy. He is. I know that guy. I know him. Um, but look, and you know, as we talked about last time, we don't have to get into it this time, but I had a long journey that was not always easy. Mm. And, 
to get to a level of success, I had to reach 10 years ago, the lowest point of my life when I had no idea what was going to happen, yeah. what, what future there was for me in any business, much less the business that I loved. Yeah. And, you know, I had no idea, you know, what to do. And I remember distinctly, literally saying to my wife, it's over for me. I don't know what I'm going to do. That exact phrase, I remember where I was, when I said it, what had been happening. And you meant it. And I meant it. Yeah. You know, um, would I change any of it? No. Um, was it enjoyable? No. Uh, whenever I see people who are starting out in the music business, I'll say something along the lines of, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't trade places with you for anything in the world. Because <laughs> I don't want to go back there, but no. I did it. Yeah. You know, I went through it and I put up with it and I just stuck at it. I, like I said in the last podcast, I tried to do the good work with the good people and just, you know, try to learn from your mistakes, try to be self-aware. And I got here and I wouldn't fuck with any of it because I don't want to change now, mm. because now I'm at a point, I'm the happiest I've ever been. Mm. I am certainly more successful than I thought I would ever be. Mm. Um, I just, it's, it's not a life that I ever knew was possible at that age. I wouldn't want to change it because I don't want to fuck with this. I love that. However, check me out. Something that was so valuable for me in the beginning of my career and really when I, probably four years ago when I like deep dug into podcasts, was you can learn by other people's mistakes and you can hear someone's journey and relate the parts that relate to you and take a little bit out of their playbook and make your journey that little bit better. So if somebody's listening to this, like I agree with that and I look back, I had some fucking low lows in my life. However, there probably are little pieces that I would love to be able to educate, instill, encourage in other people and help them make not make mistakes. So even if it wasn't you, do you think that compromising values or integrity or like getting that big check or going to work for the status company that you know doesn't necessarily have the people that align with you the most is a necessary step in the beginning or at any point in your career when you need to prove something? Or do you think the better path in hindsight that anyone should try to follow is find the people and find no, the integrity? No. Look, it's everyone's story is different. And one of the things I say is that no one can tell you your step one. Mm, wow. Now, your step one is up to you. Yeah. And I know people whose step one was working for, I was just having breakfast with a friend of mine at one of the music publishers whose step one was working for some shitbag radio promoter, <laughs> you know, back yeah. in the 90s. And radio in the 90s was like the sleaziest of the sleazy. Yeah, it's like a used car dealership yeah. Yeah. times 100. And, you know, but that's what she had to do to get her start. Yeah. You know, different people have different ways of doing it. And I would certainly not encourage people to go through what I went through. I'm going to be honest. Like, mm. as I said, man, I had a lot of years of a lot of crippling self-doubt yeah. that this is not working, that this, wh what am I, what am I doing? I would not encourage people to do that. Yeah. But I would say to people who are doing that, that it doesn't mean it's not going to work. Whoa. Um, you know, the if I, if I can give two pieces of advice, you know, for if I can say two things to anyone Your starting two out, is the devil horns. My two is always the devil horns. <laughs> always going to be the devil horns. Um, if I can say two pieces of advice to anyone starting out in the music industry, it is follow your momentum mm. and play the long game. Mm. It's that simple. Follow your momentum means there may be X, Y, and Z that you want to do, mm. that you see yourself as. But if A, B, and C are the things that are working, you go with those. No shit. And so, you know, and this is, we talked about this in the last podcast, but, you know, it was at the very end, and I'd, I'd elaborate on it, which is, when I first started out, I wanted to do pop music. And I thought that pop music was my way into the music business. Yeah. But what first started to work for me was these little punk rock deals. Right. And one of the things that I applaud my prior self for figuring out was it was time to focus on those. It was going to be much less money than I was expecting to make. Yeah. It was going to mean starting from a very bottom in an industry that has a very high ceiling, mm. but a very low bottom. And it was going to mean starting at the bottom but that was where I saw the momentum. Mm. And I didn't need it now. I didn't need the success now. I didn't need the big clients now. I didn't need the big deals now. Mm. I just needed them at some point. I needed to get there. And I applaud my prior self for being in that situation and seeing where my momentum was and following that. And I see a lot of people not be able to, not be willing to follow their momentum because they want something 
specific and right now they're not there wow but dude and i will say the one thing and you'll know this and probably a lot of your listeners will understand this but i heard this a lot from artists when i started out 10 years ago i don't want to be in the warp tour scene yeah i don't want to be that's a warped what i was tour thinking band. as you were saying and that. i would always say to them so what you're telling me is you want all new fans like how does that work that's not how that works you don't just get to decide i don't want to be in this scene so therefore i'm out like that's where your momentum is now, I have a good friend who, who, who manages a, a, a band called The Contortionist. It's a, a proggy metal band who started out as this screamy metalcore band. And, you know, their progression towards this more ethereal sort of singing and undistorted stuff was a, several albums. It was how do you pull along your fan base yeah. while making the changes that you want to make and getting to the place you want to end up. But without doing that, I don't want to be in the warp Tour scene anymore. Right. Which means... I see momentum, I have momentum, but that's not the momentum I want. I want that momentum, so I'm gonna do that instead. And frankly, that's just in my experience, not how it works. No shit. I, I find that very relatable. I think that that applies to freaking every career. Every Everyone at any point in their life has a decision like that. So I'm very interested in what you have to say. Here. And you know, and I see it all the time with client bases. You know, so for example, I found an artist a few years ago who was, was really tiny called Destroy Boys. Mm, and they mm. were this little tiny band, but they were so great. And I was like, this is going to be huge, I can tell. And I you know, reached out and we started working together. And I started to notice there was this whole scene exploding of, of young women, of young women of color who were starting pop punk and punk leaning bands. Yes. I, and I started discovering, okay, there's this scene. You know, so we have Chloe Moriando and Destroy Boys and Meet Me at the Altar and yeah. Pink Shift. And I started to notice that there was this scene and I thought, that is just this little this world that exists that because I already kind of have a presence here, I can make a difference and uh -huh. I can be a piece of the puzzle here. Yes. And it's just following that momentum. I do a lot of metal deals because I have those networks in place and they don't pay nearly as much as, you know, the big pop stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's where you where you see the momentum is where you go. We've been very lucky recently to have a lot of artists who are very indie minded, who, you know, will have big viral songs, but will end up signing with independent record companies or independent publishers. And that's now become this piece of our client base that I'm really excited about. You know, artists like Dreamer Isioma or Wunderbar, whose Alien Blues just, you know, just went gold recently, just exploded mm. on TikTok. Um, and you see where that momentum is and you say, okay, so I see that there are these artists that I'm already working with, who are very indie-minded, no matter the level of success. And so you say, okay, well, who else out there is like that? Mm. I have this expertise now, I have this experience, I can bring that to other people. Mm. And you follow that momentum. And what I have seen over the last few years is that following that momentum and playing the long game, mm. you know, it just works. Well, okay, so that was exactly my question. Cool, you follow your momentum, what happens next? Because I could, again, I'm trying to think of this and I'm kind of in real time applying said advice to myself. And it's like, what if though you have momentum and you you don't like the, you know, the example of the Warp Tour band, you don't want to be the Warp Tour band. I agree with everything you're saying, but I just love the conversation. So is the whole point of play the long game saying, if you follow that momentum, it's going to open doors that you don't realize and it's going to build it to a level. And if you keep playing that long game and doing that natural progression, you will get to that where you want to go moment, it's just not necessarily going to be a linear path. You're going to have a little bit of a... Well, and look, you also have to, you know, frankly, got to combine what I'm saying now with what I said earlier about you have a decision of who you do business with. Mm -hmm. So if you find your momentum is leading you in a direction you do not want to go in, yes. a direction that you do not believe in, a direction yeah. that puts you in a position that you don't want to be in, mm. then look for momentum elsewhere. Okay. And a lot of it is reading the tea leaves. Wow. You know, and that's the phrase I use a lot is mm. it's reading the tea leaves. And for me, that's whether I find an artist who is in a certain situation, I believe based on their metrics, based on their tour stats, based on what they're doing, based on what world they're in. I, I always say it's reading the tea leaves to figure out what What's sorts that of mean? opportunities. Reading the tea leaves? The idea is, you know, just you try to determine what the future holds mm. based on the things that you can see in front of you. So oh, cool. reading the tea leaves, I, you know, it's funny. I, it's funny. I say that all the time. I don't actually know where it comes from. It has to do with predicting the future. Based I don't give on a hoot sort of origin. Like, I just mean like the concept. Yeah, no, it's like, yeah. it's like I mean, I think it comes from like spiritual sort of like, you know, being able to understand, what, read the future, predict the future based on some sort of arbitrary, you know, spiritualist practice. I'm not Got a it. spiritual person, so I don't mean it in that context. <laughs> but by reading the tea leaves, I mean, just looking at what's in front of you, looking at what's right in front of you and determining what 
is the likely outcome. If I do this, what will yeah. happen? If I do that, what will happen? If I do these different things, what will the outcomes be? What is the outcome that I want? Which one of these is more likely, is the one that's more likely one that doesn't vibe with me and the one that's less likely one that vibes with me more? Is there one that is equally likely but is not as not gonna lead to the same level of success? And right. just looking at that and just saying, okay, this is what I see in front of me. Yeah. Which avenue do I take? Okay, I, 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 it, I get it now and I love that because I was thinking about all this and I agree with you, but I was looking at my time in my career and like, you know, I was joking. I was like, man, it feels like a lifetime ago that I was managing bands. Like, I actually don't like that. I, I that, that was not the right career for me. Right. I will never do that again. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I learned. And I still have similar parallels in what's fulfilling to me. But I think I followed momentum enough to learn that I didn't like that. And I could see, oh, I, I see a more promising, exciting career if I go further in the podcast side and I explore, you know, I got to fucking moderate these panels for Porsche. It's crazy. Yeah. I love the automotive industry. I had to start from the bottom again, but that there was still momentum there. And I kind of had to like do that. So I agree with you, but it, I just needed to like understand it for my own application to make it relatable. Well, that's why we use the word pivot instead of restart. Wow. Yeah. Pivot is changing direction, not going back to the beginning. It's it's you're walking forward, you have momentum and you say, "Okay, I'm going to pivot." Right. Wow. And to that exact point in our friendship, we're still great friends and I still learn so much from you and we have these incredible conversations and we've been able to work on things that are slightly different from bands and it's all it's the friendship is there, that relationship is there and that started from a whole different life of mine. Well, we've also watched each other succeed. Yeah. And we've watched we've known each other from when we both just had ideas and mm. we've watched each other grow and learn who we are, mm. which has been a I've repeated that over and over again today and so I'm getting a little bit I have to watch it and pull it back on mm, the who like you it. are sort of stuff. It's just so fucking big to me right now. Yeah. is learning who you are. Yeah. And how, you know, I feel like you have to do this for a long time. There's a point when you start you just have to go and you have to keep in mind you know what is most important to you and you have to keep in mind like you know your morals and your base values yeah but you often don't have time to think about existentially who am i yeah yeah you know you get to a certain level and then you can and right. it's a it's a privilege yeah to be able to get to a point where you can say existentially who am i that's so funny yeah that's true ah <sighs> I like this a lot, my dude. <laughs> Another side of the conversation that we had last time that I found really interesting that was titled How to Get Signed as an Artist in 2020. And uh, I don't really think that that was clickbait because I think that if you had followed those steps, you would have had a damn good chance. I'm curious what you look at speaking to what you're doing now and being in such a great lane. I think you're still seeing a lot of record deals, but I think since COVID and the pandemic and I mean, so many things, honestly, it's crazy to think how much is changing and evolving within two years. But I'm curious, is this little time, in this little time capsule, if we look at the current landscape and we we try to dissect like what it takes to get noticed or be successful as an artist or get a deal, what do you think has changed from then until now? What I mean, look, I, we are at a time in music history that has never before existed. Yeah. Um, and you know, you got to think for hundreds of years, it was just performances, it was concerts in the classical era. Yeah. Then there was sheet music, then there was records, that's the product era, there was sheet music, there was records, there was CDs, and there was MP3s. And now we're in an era, you know, that some people call the services or the access era, where we just have access to all of these different things. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And we, you know, and it's a very unique time. There is something that is possible now that's never been possible before. You can make a living off of your music sitting in your room. Yeah. And to put in context, the music business in its current state has existed to some extent since the publishing era of the 1800s. So we're looking at a few hundred years. For the first time ever, you can actually make a living just making music. Now it has to resonate in a certain way, but you can just make a living making music. Mm. And that has never before been possible. Right. We are actually at a point in music history that is quite simply the most unique time, the most vibrant time, and is incredibly diverse in the type of deals that are available, in the type of careers that are possible. Um, you know, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine who's um, head of business affairs at one of the majors, and I made the comment, you know, I grew up in the 90s, I love 90s music, you know, I grew up in, I'm 40 years old, so I grew up on, you know, all the 90s shit. And 
I made a comment. I wish I'd have seen the music business of the 90s. Boy, it was so vibrant. You know, the CD market and just grunge and alternative and gangster rap and the swing revival and everything that happened in the 90s. It just seemed like so much fun. And I'm talking to someone who was a lawyer in the 90s in the music business. And she said, you know, it was an exciting time because the industry was so big, but it was all the same deal. Oh, shit. It was. You could negotiate the size of the advance. Yep. But your royalty rate was between 11 and maybe 14 if you were lucky. Jesus fucking You know, Christ. you were signing five, six record deals were the norm. Whereas nowadays an artist, I've seen offers from major record companies come in, two records, a 25-year license with the catalog coming in, not cross-collateralized, meaning advances don't get taken from the catalog. And that's on like an 85-15 split. Holy. And major record companies offering that as their out-the-gate offer. Now... That has never before been possible where an artist can get that type of an offer as their first offer. Yeah. And I frankly give a lot of credit, this is gonna sound weird, but to COVID. Whoa. Um, this thing happened during COVID and it's hard for me to emphasize exactly how important this is. So there is this notion of, this term which is called counter-cyclical. Uh -huh. Counter-cyclical refers to industries that do not rise and fall with the market overall. Okay. So publishing music publishing is a classic counter cyclical market if you look at the music business generally or you look at the revenue the the economy in this country music publishing has generally kind of just skated you know sloped upwards a little bit you know mm -hmm. the economy's doing this yeah music publishing has been doing this so it's like a security in the stock market exactly like it's you know just what fucking... it's, it, it's yeah it is like you know the s p 500 yeah, like yeah, the yeah. index funds yeah, they're yeah, counter cyclical yeah, yeah. well they're not really because they do rise and fall with the market but over right. time they they tick up yeah so when something to be counter cyclical it means the market's going up and down and whatever but that thing is staying steady and the record business has never even mm -hmm. been close to being counter-cyclical. Mm. I mean, if you look at the historic crashes in the record business, 1929, oh, what happened in 1929? You know, in the 1940s during World War II, when we had a lot of other shit, we couldn't focus on music. Yeah. The late 70s, when we had a gas crisis and we had a recession, you know, the late, then uh, the early 2000s, another recession, the late 2000s, another recession. The record oh. business has always just been crushed when the industry when the overall economy doesn't do well well not not only that like <clears throat> everything you just referenced there was uh the economy but then like what about like my era and my beginning of getting into music when cds were dying well and that's like, like you know you watch these media and it's like okay cool everyone makes their money off selling cds cds are now antiquated figure it out and there's this ebb where none of the digital music is being monetized it's just being downloaded and you're you're basically going on tour telling people i don't give a fuck steal it if you want just please listen like that's the business model for a second and what we have now is a business model that seems now i don't want to be naive and say that it's 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 perpetual it will always be exactly what it is but a business model that is counter cyclical people can pay ten dollars a month for spotify and yeah. what we saw during COVID, and this is why i say COVID changed the game mm. during COVID, the record business exploded really the record business absolutely exploded and what that means is it gives confidence to the record companies because they see oh wait a minute at the beginning of COVID, billboard mrc was releasing these reports at the beginning of COVID, people were like we don't know how this is going to affect the record business we're expecting a drop in revenue a few months in we're like okay wait maybe maybe where, we're not expecting a drop, drop in revenue yeah. six to nine months in we're like actually we're expecting a pretty big increase yeah. and then i think that 2021 number is like a 20 percent increase in the record. i mean don't quote me on that right. 10 to 20 but i mean double digit increase in record revenues at a time when people weren't allowed to leave the weren't allowed to leave the house for part of it when people were you know pinching you know pinching their wallets making sure they're not spending too much money yeah. And, and just absolute uncertainty in general. And absolute yeah. uncertainty. And we saw the record business explode. Yeah. And so what that did, and we saw the record business explode in no small part as on the backs of artists who were just going viral, who had no record companies. Yeah. And so something that happened was the record business, we saw that it was this sustained business model that can work and is counter-cyclical and gave the record companies a whole bunch of confidence, mm. made them less risk-averse. We're willing to spend money and give much better deals to artists that before we would have never given given the risk we're taking on and simultaneously we saw artists positions increase they could now go viral on their own they could now build up you know um just build up the numbers on their own those two things happen and sometimes it's viral you know we, i mentioned wunderbar alien blues was a six-year-old song went viral and this, they're a wonderful band some of the best people that i know and they you know they they went viral 
but you know, there's I would also an artist, John Vincent III, who just slowly over the course of COVID went from a quarter million monthly to half a million to a million to two million. You know, and so those two things combined, the increased confidence that the record business has in itself. Yeah. And the increased bargaining power that artists had by being able to build things up on their own has made the record business today yeah. a industry where deals are just much more artist friendly right. than they've ever been. Yes. If you have the leverage to get it, yeah. deals are much more diverse. Yeah. You can still sign that new sort of record deal, new artist record deal where it's four records or five records and they own the masters. And sometimes that's the exact right deal for you to do. Mm-hmm. But there are now these very unique opportunities. I've seen artists in multiple situations. Viral Song could do seven-figure deal with any major record company, and they go to AWOL or Amuse or some other company where they can keep their rights, get the money still, don't get me wrong, get the money still, keep their rights, and then just go back to the life that they know and love and not have to play the game that they don't want to play. And that choice did not exist really ever. Okay, so with that stated, you go back to your other, the lawyer you were talking to, and she's talking about the 90s and the deal. So in a sense, she had it a lot easier than you because you get real good at negotiating that deal. I know you get really excited in the details and you study all these things, but is that hectic for you or exciting for you that you get to come to work every day and you don't know the deals you're negotiating? Like, do you, is there an ideal deal nowadays or? Um, well, no, I mean, look, the ideal deal is still so different artist to artist and you get offers sometimes that change your perspective on what an ideal deal is. We, for the first time ever, saw a seven-figure non-recoupable, I can't even call it an advance, I don't know what to call it, a fee, a payment, a seven-figure non-recoupable fee just a fucking come on over come on over here's a million bucks you know and like so now i'm like all right i guess i'm asking for non-recoupable shit in every deal now um i mean not every deal but But you know you know it exists now you you know you know it's a thing now and of course i mean i'm I'm exaggerating a little but i've you know those we've gotten those before but you know just seeing it at that level and seeing like like, okay this is you know this is a different sort of ball game you know um i i'm not going to pretend i'm not incredibly stressed out like mm-hmm. I, I don't want to, you know, candy coat my life, I guess. I'm very happy and content with what I've done. And I don't want to sound self-centered, but I'm I'm proud of myself mm-hmm. given what I have gone through to get here. But I also don't want to pretend like I don't have those nights where I am lying in my bed shaking mm-hmm. because of something that has come up and I don't know how we're going to find our way out of it. Now, it's happened enough times mm-hmm. and we've found our way out of it every time that now it's much easier yeah. to say to myself, Lauren, remember last time? Yeah. <laughs> remember? Like, not, not just one time I said to my wife, it's over. You know, yeah, I've said yeah. that a few times. <laughs> um, and I've seen it now enough times where now I can say to myself, okay, this seems like a big deal. Yeah everything's going to be fine. It's going to work out in the end. Um, But I'm not going to pretend like I'm not stressed out and I'm not very anxious about everything going on. I would imagine your stress, though, comes from the point of always wanting to do right by your artists, though. And the evolution of these deals is there's so many new ways that you can do right by your artist and, and pivot and negotiate different deal points. So it's like, how do you really find the right place to put your artist and how you really advise on that? And how do you really go to bed at night knowing like, I got my artist the best deal. No, I mean, it is an anxiety is, yeah. you know, when you get a deal that has certain points in it, we're just like, man, I wish I'd have done that in that deal I did six months ago. Mm. You know, I had, I had a comment with a colleague of mine, a lawyer who's, you know, one of the name partners at one of the big LA based firms. And, you know, we were joking that, mm. um, you know, it seems like some of our biggest artists have the shittiest deals. Because they did them three years ago. Wow. Four years it's ago. Getting that, it's you it's know. evolving that fast. Oh, it's evolving. I mean, deals I did at the beginning of COVID, I want to go back and do. Holy shit. I mean, things are changing fast. Yeah. And that's when I say that the market now is a market unlike it's ever been. It, it's 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 changing very fast and it is hard to keep up. Yeah. But, you know, we are lucky that our client base spans all genres you know we talked about this last time but all genres all different sites i literally in the last week have received a million dollar offer and a twelve thousand dollar offer and they're both deals that we're going to do i respect that about you though you're not above anything like it's just are you excited about it you know i mean look i built my business finding the, the little ones yeah who then grow to be big ones yeah if i ever stop working with the little ones I'm over. That's your momentum. That's my momentum. And I've even said to my to my assistant sometimes I'll I'll express some uh anxiety like we don't have that many little deals right now. 
and I'll be anxious about it. Then all we have are these like big major label deals. And, and I'll be like, where are the little deals? I need those because that's where I come from. And that's how I grow this, wow. you know, and then we'll get them. And I, you know, I, I have those anxieties and then I get over them. Not to get sappy, but you're actually probably helping evolve the music industry and the deal for the artist in a really special way. Because if you're going and seeing this, this non-recuperable, like, oh, cool, artist gets a million bucks on a huge deal, then you could be, you know, what if we, what if we got 5k for this little artist? And maybe oh, that's yeah. the first time that's ever happened in that deal. But because you have the hybrid of understanding both, you're able to throw together these spicy little deals that, you know, like you're just seeing yeah. it from every angle. Well, and I find that valuable. You've helped, like, I've watched that happen. You've helped me with that exact yeah. thing. But you also start to learn how little money means to these big companies, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, look, maybe it's a, it's a small, it's a, it, maybe it's not a big company, it's an indie label, but they're offering the artist $10,000 um, advance and the artist is nervous. They don't want to lose the deal. They're like, oh, we don't, I'm just like, trust me, we can ask for 20. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, yeah, not yeah. gonna, like, yeah, they're, they're like, not going, like, one of the things I always say, it's a, it's a moment of, you know, you've succeeded to a certain level when you can look someone in the eye and say, they're not gonna pull the deal. Yeah. Because that's what you're nervous about when you start yeah. out, is that you're gonna lose the deal. Yeah. And what you learn as you get along is that, they pull the deal when you're a dick. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. they don't pull the deal because you ask for something that you believe you deserve. If you come at it and say twenty thousand dollars or you're a piece of shit, okay. Yeah. Or they're the wrong label for you and they're assholes. And if they pull the deal on the first offer anyway, they're not the right. Oh label yeah, because they're just bullying you. Yeah, no, I've said that to artists too. Like, look, if they pull the deal because we ask for this, then we don't want to do this deal. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. this is a fun exercise and I'm kind of ad-libbing it in person and if it doesn't go anywhere, whatever, but to make it again helpful, I think the reason that the last one was so rad was not only do you have a relatable story and you're just a rad dude, but I think we shared a lot that was genuinely helpful for anyone, artists, professionals, anything. As we're talking about this evolution, what are a couple points that you're paying attention to now? Are you uh, like, is your, are you looking to just have things shorter? Are you looking to get more money out of things? Are you looking to have the artists give over less of a percentage? Are you looking not to license things? Like what are some, in 2022, what are some points that you're instantly looking at when you see a deal come across your desk? I mean, look, I, it's almost, it's, that's an impossible to answer question. I thought be, it might Simply be, because but. it is so different case by case. Mm. And the most important thing is gonna be what my client wants. Okay. And so I'm going to talk to an artist and, I will find out what is most important to them. We have an artist um, who is, his, his catalog is doing very well right now. And, and yeah. all the deals that are coming over are people wanting his catalog. Uh, and, and we could get way more money if mm. we throw in that catalog. But my guy doesn't want to give up that catalog. The way he'll put it is, man, they didn't work that catalog. They didn't bring right. the value to that catalog. Why am I just giving that to them? I might be getting money, but what am I trading? 50% of the profits? Even if I'm trading 20% of the profits, I'm also trading control. And so for that artist, they don't want to give that catalog. Right. Whereas on another deal, we might say, you want that number to be bigger? Let's bring over the catalog. But it depends because one artist, they don't, the catalog gets in the past. Sure, that's, if that's a way to get this deal up, let's bring it over and get the deal up. Other people that say, motherfucker, that's my baby right there. Yeah. I'm not handing you my baby. Yeah. And so it really, the first thing, and I would say, you know, any artist who's talking to a lawyer or a manager about the opportunities, if that lawyer or manager is not asking them what is most important to them first and foremost, mm. then that person is probably a little bit in it for themselves. Wow. You know, like you should be willing. I mean, I have a client where we are literally, you know, we have a massive offer and I don't want to do the deal. No shit. Because of, and he doesn't want to do it either because mm. of a variety of reasons that we just, there's aspects about it. Now, some people are going to see that money and go, oof, we got to do that deal. And if you find your manager or your lawyer trying to talk you into doing a deal with a big paycheck, you know what? They're getting a big paycheck from that too. Yeah. And that might be why they're doing it. And, mm. you know, it really is case by case. It really is artist by artist. What is important to them? What does their music mean to them? What does their new music or their old music or mm. their future music, you know, and what is the balance between what I, I call the balance between tangible and speculative? Mm. The tangible is what you're doing right now. Yeah. The money that you're generating right now, the numbers you're generating right now. Speculative is where you want to be. And sometimes you'll look at a deal and you will say, this deal is all about the tangible but we want the speculative. We wanna see that you believe in where we're going and what we're doing. Yeah. And sometimes I will say to people, and I've said this, like, look, your deal, it's all tangible. I see where you got the numbers, but if you want this artist to go with you, show them that it's not about their numbers now. Do it's about where you know you can take them and show them the speculative nature of what you guys do. And 
but other artists they don't want to risk they don't they don't actually care too much about the speculative they're like you know what we see how much money we're bringing we got to see x dollars and you know future stuff maybe it's a little it's a little yeah. different yeah. um but it, it really it really is an artist by artist deal by deal matter by matter facts by facts instance by instance no that that's actually a beautiful answer and that's that's the better answer so let's flip the script then and play the other side of it is if you're an artist right now and you're trying to get signed you know like we were talking like how to get signed in 2020 what do you think labels are looking at where do you find when you have a client come to you and they say hey i'm starting to get interest can you help me negotiate this what are the things they're doing that are generally getting interest these days is it all tiktok is it more than that like what do you what are you seeing look um <laughs> the, the 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 digital world is a blessing and a curse yeah it's a blessing because of the transparency mm. it's a curse because of the, the transparency, transparency. Absolutely. <laughs> i knew you were you know if that. you have 500 monthly listeners it's gonna be hard. Yeah, uh, depends on the genre. I mean, I've seen you know punk acts and death metal acts and some hip hop acts get signed with very little numbers based on pure speculation. Don't get me wrong; those deals are generally not super artist friendly because the the party is speculating quite a bit. You know, I have seen artists you know who were really smart to turn down deals early on when they had thirty thousand monthly listeners, forty thousand, fifty thousand. Wait until they're in that you know two hundred plus. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. there's an artist, and I'll, I'll tell more about the deal than I should, so I won't say who the artist is, but who. We had the conversation when they hit 100,000. We had the conversation when they hit 200,000. They were getting offers. Some of the offers were getting pretty good. We waited until they had that 500,000. No, I think it was actually, it was over. That was probably around a million by the time. And then we did a distro deal in the major label system where they got that money they were getting offered a year ago, but keeping their master's three-year term, that sort of stuff. You know, you, know you um, accidentally answered my question though, just in that example. You didn't even say you were saying 100,000, 200, 500 million. You didn't even say on what platform because it's so universally paid attention to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, Spotify, I mean, Apple Music is not nearly as transparent as Spotify is. Um, Spotify and YouTube and TikTok. Yeah. Those are numbers that people are going to look at. And, mm -hmm. you know, look, to some people, it. I don't think I could hack it in today's, as a musician, yeah. I loved playing music. I loved rocking out. And I looked great doing it. <laughs> <laughs> But I fucking love you, dude. <laughs> dude, I don't know if you see, but I used to have the big hair and the sweet boots. I look oh like a rock my star. God, for um, the listener too, he was so excited. We like we roll up and we meet, and he's like, "Dude, I was able to match my socks. I'm wearing my gorilla business t-shirt." He's like so excited. Oh, yeah, see, socks, I fucking so. love you. Socks will always match my shirt. That's a weird God, thing. If you ever you... meet me in person, my socks will always match my shirt. I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh no, you're good. Well, okay, so it all came back from you're like you can't game the system this time, right? Like. You're like back in the day, I could rock the fuck out of it, and I look good doing it. Oh right, yeah, it. that's but right. People that's are paying right. yeah, yeah. attention to no. Spotify well, we were, and YouTube. So I was saying this exact thing, and so I'm catching myself now because I was saying I wouldn't be able to hack it today yeah. because to be an artist today is not just to play music. No, it's not. To be an artist today is to be on TikTok, to be on Instagram, to know how to make that content too. Yeah. And this is a thing that I don't want to sound offensive, but there's a difference to me now between an artist and a musician. Wow. And an artist is someone who does all of those things. The art of the music industry now is not just music it is who your public persona is and sometimes it's you don't say shit but that has to somehow be your persona and you have to make that work yeah and i you know i don't think i had that i was a musician i played music you'd get on a stage you'd fucking rip you'd look great doing it but that's what that was and today it is very difficult to succeed as a musician wow you have to be an artist. You have to be the whole package. And it's not about faking the funk. It is yeah. about finding the real connections with your fans, having a voice that is distinct. Like, look, if you, I, I don't want to sound like an asshole, but if you're a band that sounds like all the bands that came before you, or maybe even a combination of two or three of them, but I can say, oh, that's where you sound like this band, it's probably going to be harder for you. You have to have something unique to bring to the table. And that's what we see with most of our artists that are successful is they're saying something in a new way. They're saying something in a unique way. They're connecting with their fans. They know how to interact with their fans. We have a client who just started, you know, really growing very organically, never got 
playlisted, you know, never got shouted out by big artists, just started growing and growing. And I'd sit there and listen to him talk about how he learned how you could never mention Spotify in your TikTok post. And he would wait for, until he had a certain number of comments, then go in and comment on every one of them, because then that would be at one time a big boost, and that would lead to algorithmic something. And then he'd wait at a certain point, then he'd start going back in and telling them to go to Spotify, because at that point, he'd reach the numbers he knew that he could then do. And I was just sitting there, and I was like, how did you... And anyone who knows about this stuff is probably like, Lauren, you're describing all of that wrong. But guess what? That's not my job. So I mean, you know, I'm hearing it. And I'm like, Jesus, fuck, that's smart. Like, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, and he, no one taught him that. Yeah, he just he's an artist. Yeah. And he just did it. He's like, I want to reach fans. I want to grow fans. And he started seeing what worked. Oh, that video on TikTok didn't get the number of plays and yeah. hearts and whatever you call them. That's yeah. the other one did. And he just saw it and he just made it work. And in 2022, that's what an artist is. Mm. And that is simultaneously, as I said, a blessing and a curse. Some people don't want to do that. They just want to write the music. And right. this is not really anymore the industry for them. Wow. Now, I guess you could probably have success as a songwriter and learn. But even to, as a songwriter, you're doing you're the doing networking, the, the you're going out and you're doing you're doing all sorts. I mean, it's being a professional songwriter is as much a social experiment as it is yeah, a yeah. professional endeavor. However, I guess I could argue that with the greater ask also comes the greater reward because there was a life where you could be a musician, right? I don't know, I'll throw it back to like the 70s or some shit. And I would imagine that you could like rip on guitar and have, you would just, they would need a ripping guitar player and you go up and you rip and you're good. And then you tour and you sell the albums and it's great. However, you're giving up much more. The deals look different, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, yeah, now you actually have to be an artist. But if you are an artist and if you can do that, you also have way more leverage than you've ever had before. And when you do start to get noticed, literally just by doing that simple thing, which simple in theory, hard as hell, practically applied because it takes time and you have yeah. to find that and there isn't a formula. There's no instruction manual. <laughs> but once you do that, the reward is actually remarkable because you have these deals that are now so much more progressive and so much more encouraging and can really give you a career. Well, and you know, I also want to say, look, I don't want to misstate what the industry used to be. Because one of my favorite industry quotes, I don't remember if I said it last time, but my favorite industry quotes, this guy, Al Cooper, he was, he's a very unique individual. He was the keyboardist for Dylan when he went electric. Okay. He then founded Blood, Sweat, and Tears. He was an A&R executive for a long time. And, you know, his quote, uh, I think I'm misquoting it, but I think I say it better than I originally heard it. <laughs> which, yeah. Which was, I knew I had to be in the right place at the right time. So I was everywhere all the time. Holy shit. And, but that's from the 70s. So, wow. you know, there's this, you could never just be a musician and just shred and get it. You always had to have some other extra elements and you had to put in a lot of time and effort into those. And I mean, look, back in the 90s, it was standing outside of every venue in Chicago, mm. handing out flyers. I mean, mm. the bands that I saw succeed out of Chicago, and we talked about a lot of bands yeah. like, you know, Lucky Boys and like uh. pla Plain White Tees, dude. You know, I've known, I've known Tom from Plain White Tees. We played shows back together 25 years ago. I mean, he was outside of every single show in Chicago, handing out flyers to the next Plain White Tees show when no nobody shit. outside Chicago knew who they were. Wow. You know, and so there's always been these extra elements. It's just what they are changed. And yeah. I could do that. Mm. I could stand outside shows and hand out flyers. You know, I wonder whether I could have done the TikTok thing and yeah. done the Instagram thing. And I've had artists reach out to me and say, Lauren, I just can't figure out how to do this Instagram thing. And first thing I'll say, I'm your lawyer. Why are you calling me? Holy shit. Um, but, you know, <laughs> but second of all, it's just like, you know, I'll say, look, I, I just be natural. Just, I don't, I don't know. I feel like it just, it has to come naturally or, or just, I don't, maybe you just don't have it. And that's wow. a hard thing to recognize. That's yeah. what I had to recognize. Oh, fuck. At certain points, like, I don't have it. I am so much better at this than I ever was at that. Okay, but wow, and this is fucking great. Maybe you don't have it. What a hard thing to come to grips with. But now for you, if that person is calling you and saying, I can't do this Instagram thing, is that a client that you will take on or wanna have? Because I would have to imagine that's just part of the game right now. Depends how much I love the music. Really? I have artists, and there's one specific, I won't say who it is, that mm. is, will never be successful in the objective sense of the word. Mm. I listen to the music all the time. Mm. And I will, when they call me, I will answer the phone. Mm. And when they're having a problem with the company that is still distributing some of their prior music, 
I will take that call and I will talk to them for 45 minutes to an hour. I'll give them my time because I love the music and I want them to be successful. You know, will they reach that level? No. Yeah. Do they know um, that? I don't know. Huh. I believe so. Yeah. I don't think they care. I think they just want to keep making the music. And, you know, to me, I love the music. I, I think the person's incredible. And I'm at a point in my career where I can, I can give that person an hour of my time here and there and I can make that decision. Um, and so I don't always work with something just because I think it's going to be successful. As a matter of fact, I don't think I ever work for something just because I think it's going to be successful. It's the furthest from you. Um, yeah. But I mean, I love to see the success. Mm. I love to see a band go, an artist go from nothing to something, to something big, to something else, you know? Mm -hmm. I love watching that. Mm. Um, I am so cheesy and I love going to those shows. I always say whenever I go see a client play, I'm not watching the stage. Mm. I'm watching that audience, mm. you know? And I'll give an example. You know, we work with an artist, Chloe Moriando, mm. who... Um, is just really breaking out right now. Um, so bright, so remarkable. So remarkable. And I saw Chloe play a long time ago on an opening slot on a tour. And then I saw Chloe play at the Bottom Lounge in Chicago, just, I don't know, six months ago. Wow. And just the young women in that crowd and just what Chloe meant to them and just what that performance meant to them and just seeing the way that they were connecting to that moment. I'm getting tears right now just I thinking know. about it. And so it's like, do I wanna work with artists who are successful? Of course, yeah. but not because it's gonna buy me a nicer car, yeah. because it's the most beautiful fucking thing in the world to see happen. I think it would be a really fun thing to conclude now. And I would love to continue podcasting with you whenever you will have me around and want to do these. But here we are now, about two years later, and maybe this is that note to future, past, current Lauren. But what do you see currently? Like, what are you excited about? What are you like? What is that current message to yourself? Where do you look towards the future? What are you the most excited about? Like, how do we, how do we capture this current moment in time the best? What I am excited about, I think is actually pretty easy to answer is, you know, I've been doing this long enough and I've reached a level where I can just be choosy in what I do. I can work with the artists that I want to work with. I can work with the people that I want to work with. And as I move forward, you know, that is really important to me is making sure that all artists that I work with and every situation I get in is one that I am fully behind and that comports with who I believe that I am. And, you know, this is that moment where I'm, I'm, I'm asking myself that every day. What sorts of stuff do I want to be involved? And like I said, you know, I've seen the tippy top of the pop pyramid. Tippy top um, of the pop. And do I think that I'll get there again? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it happens. Yeah, and you I'm just kind don't of, care now. I'm kind of out there. I just, yeah, it's just not something that motivates me. I walk out of my office, you know, and look at this wall of these shiny records that have my name on them. And I, I, I feel like I'm sounding like such a jackass right now saying this. It, but I, every day I walk out of my office and I just stare at them for a minute. And I just think about it all, you know? I think about, you know, the, the 25 years that I've been doing this. And I think about how I found myself in this position where I have control over my destiny now. Mm. And there were so many times in history when I felt I didn't. Yeah. Those times when I looked to my wife and said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I felt like I had no control over my destiny. And I think I do now. Um, and you have to work for a long time to get to that point where you do have that control. But you know, at this point, if I lose this, it's my fault. And, and I, you know, I'm motivated every day to not lose this. You know, um, but what's great is because how I feel I got here was by connecting with who I am and um, who I want to be. And so now I know, like, as long as I keep doing that, yeah, I'm not going to lose this. Are you the most fulfilled version of yourself now? Without question. Yeah. I feel that. I feel that in your energy. I feel that in like literally just your presence and the excitement and the way you talk about it. And I want everybody who's starting out, you know, I always say I'm on the other side of the mountain, mm. you know? And as I said, I, I had to reach the lowest point of my life 10 years ago. Mm. Um, I had, you know, everyone who's starting out now, it seems so impossible. You know, I say the hardest thing when you start out is just to get through conversations because mm -hmm. you don't know what the fuck you're doing. And people are saying stuff and you're like, I don't, 
know what is going on you just got to get through it but like mechanical royalty yeah what is that what is a compulsory rate (laughs) oh no Um, you know you just um but to people starting out you know just it's not gonna be like this forever Mm. you know you just you're true to yourself you follow your momentum and you play that long game Mm. and it will get better i said this last time and i firmly believe it yeah if you work hard at it you're smart about it you know and you just you just keep going yeah yeah it will happen and you know what also add to that is like i say this and i'm asking like you you fulfilled it's like i don't i don't view this as like you're like acceptance speech i'm at the fucking top and it feels so good i don't feel this conversation as braggadocious at all it's purely just like this moment in time and like you're not here to be like i'm the fucking best there's so many people out there that are probably doing crazier bigger deals but like you don't give a fuck like you're just so in your pocket someone out there represents lady gaga right yeah but i've never seen someone give less of a fuck that someone out there represents lady gaga (laughs) because you're so happy representing who you do and doing what you do i'm a fucking kid from the cornfields yeah i worked in cornfields yeah i now work in the music business (laughs) like if i'm not grateful for this every day then I'm a piece of shit. Wow. It's, oh, man, I think we did it, dude. <laughs> I think we did it. Now, the one thing, the final thing that I'll say to conclude, which was something that was one of the most genuine or the, the most fulfilling, coolest things for me as a podcast host to hear. It's very hard for me to keep this up. It is a lot of work to yeah. keep this fucking thing going. And there are a lot of moments of, is it worth it? Will it work? Why am I doing it? Something that you said to me was one of the most like, oh my God, I'm going to keep going. But we were just like, we were chopping it up on the phone one time and you're like, dude, the amount of people that somehow found our episode and reached out to me and got in touch or students or people that, you know, maybe an artist was looking to do their homework before they started working with someone and they found that episode and they're like, I listened to your episode and like, you get it, you're authentic. The fact that Basically, the realization that this podcast is bigger than I am and that it can be a tool to connect the right people and that it can be a resource to educate people but also align the right people makes it all worth it to me. And you were the person that really drove that home to me. So thank you so fucking much for that. I mean, I will say this. This mutuality Mm. is the heart of this business. Mm. And the heart of success is finding the people with whom you have that mutuality. Yeah, Because what you're telling me I have said to you too, which is that going through that podcast with you, going through the story, I mean, and then listening to it. I mean, you know, I went back to my hotel after we did that podcast Mm. and I cried, dude. I listened to that podcast and I had never heard myself, heard those stories like that before. And I realized what I had, all of the the, the hugeness of kind of where I was and, and what I was doing. And it was such a profound moment for me. And that is the moment that I often say, you know, that I, you know, just thought about what direction I'm going in and how do I fold in that kid I talked about into who I'm doing now. Mm. And it was a real big moment for me in helping to establish how I'm looking at what I'm doing. So the fact that I got that out of that, the fact that you got that out of that, that level of mutuality is exactly the type of relationships that anyone listening to this should be looking for. It shouldn't be a one-sided thing. It should be people you push each other, you grow with each other, you help each other find those profound aha moments together. And, you know, I, I think those are so important. And, you know, the fact that, you know, and I'll tell you, I mean, literally just last week, someone introduced me to an artist and in the email linked the podcast no and said shit. you should listen to this it says a lot about who he is so it still happens um but i just you know i i think that that mutual i'm not going to say mutual benefit because mm. it's more than that mm. but the mutuality that that you and i have had and that that podcast had for both of us is exactly the shit that these people should be looking for in their professional lives it's so well stated because like i, I genuinely i don't care like it's so much bigger than any business relationship right it's just like I feel a certain amount of friendship and respect and excitement when I talk to you and that that pushes me. But then that intangible of like, whoa, one conversation that we had ended up being so meaningful for both of us and there's something that's so special. So to really conclude it, if you've now made it to the end of this podcast and have listened to the other podcast and you relate and you feel this and these these things that we've talked about make sense to you and this is the kind of feeling you want, really do reach out to either one of us, but I'm saying this to Lauren because yeah. 
uh, I think that you aren't above people, a client taking on clients and like you probably want to work with the people that get it. So if there is that mutual feeling, hit him up because it, it means more than you know on both sides to really hear from the people that resonate with this because it's coming from the heart. And if I don't respond to the first email, send a follow-up. And I always say this, mm. is that I'm grateful for the, fo- people are always nervous they're gonna annoy industry people they reach out to. Mm. And I'm always like, no, we're just busy and we see the email and we wanna respond and then we don't. Yeah. And then all you have to do is follow up and I'll go, oh shit, I meant oh, to get shit. back to that person. Great piece so of advice. follow up. Now don't stalk them and show up at their house. Yeah. You know, you know maybe don't email them on Instagram, Facebook, yeah. their email. Read and, the room. Yeah, read, read the, the room. room. Yeah. Like if, you're, if your product is good, because that's also another humbling thing is like sometimes you're a rad person and you are going to make it, but the product, I've had to check myself on this, the product just isn't there yet. And what's the person going to do or say? I don't think you're really above people. But anyway, I think that that's a good way of like, Keep it concise. If you don't hear back, follow up. That's just and, and that's no, my, just, my email has changed since the last time. It oh is, shit. It is, Are you gonna share it? It is L Wells yeah. at Wells Capel, K-A-P-P-E-L. If you don't know how to spell Wells, that's on you. <laughs> Wellscapel.com. So L Wells at Wellscapel.com. Reach out to me. Last time you suggested to go to my Instagram, I haven't uh, posted to that mm-hmm. in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know how to use that shit. Yeah. So, um, I'd say just email me, best way to do it. Okay. Although I did get some direct DMs because you told them to do that. Dang. So I didn't mind it. Cool. Well, that's again, really special. Not every guest shares that. And it, it's certainly not something that I ask for, but I think that that's uh, really making the industry a better place and not being precious about that shit. I really respect it. So Bring it on. thank you. And I hope that this continues to align more like-minded people because that makes it all worth it. You're the man and congrats on the success of your podcast. It's so cool to see it just grow and to see the level of people that you're interviewing and to be one of those people. I'm very humbled to be in that list of people that I've seen that you interviewed recently. So thank you very much. And I'm a little little nervous about seeing me on that with all Dude. those other people, but you know. Wow, I love these. Thank you. So there you have it, the Lauren Wells part two episode. Like we were saying at the end, it's really crazy how much of an impact the podcast can have and you don't even realize it. I love hearing from people and I love hearing these stories of people getting connected because of the podcast or making new business connections and relationships. So please do respectfully reach out to him if you like the episode. And for me, please do share it with a friend. Let anyone know, share it on social media, reach out to me and let me know if it helps you. I love hearing from people. Sometimes it feels like you're throwing a podcast out into the void and you don't know if it helps. So I love getting messages, DMs that it helps, suggestions for other guests you want to have on, and ultimately sharing it with your friends to help grow it because seriously word of mouth is the biggest way that this has grown and that's all because of you and it's something that's so easy to do that rhymed all right that's it thank you so much for listening i'll be back next week with another episode